0: Good afternoon, we have a great deal of ground to cover as we look at this issue of worldview and education. And the title of my presentation today is He Who Controls the Schools, Controls the World. A fact that unfortunately gets by many of us in the Christian community. The overwhelming majority of the Christian community Makes the exact same educational choice. Some 90% of people who call themselves born again, blood washed, Christ followers make the exact same educational choice. I don't think there's anything else that 90% of Christians do together. Same choice. I I just don't, I just don't, anything, you bring up any theological issue and try to get 90% of Christians to agree. I mean, well, you know, okay, we, we, the deity of Christ, and we're, you know, that, that's, other than that, which Bible you're gonna use? Fight to the death over which Bible you're gonna use, okay? Uh, what, what, which denomination you're gonna be a part of? Duke it out there too. But 90% make the exact same educational choice. And nobody can point to book, chapter, and verse to justify it. 90% of Christians allow our government to educate their children. We are losing somewhere between 70 and 88% of our children by the end of their freshman year in college. That's the children of evangelicals. Somewhere between 70 and 88% of them have nothing to do with spiritual things by the end of their freshman year in college. Now, let me give you the easy answer before we go into a more detailed answer. The easy answer is this. If we continue to send our children to Caesar for their education, we need to stop being surprised when they come home as Romans. How to see who controls the schools, control the world. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the New Testament version of Proverbs 22, 6. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. The, the, the New Testament version of that is right here in front of you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. It's simple. It makes sense. Whoever's your teacher is your discipler. You cannot separate education and discipleship. Whoever is educating our children is discipling our children, which means whoever educates the majority of children is discipling the majority of children. And if the pupil is not above his teacher— And if everyone will ultimately be like his teacher, you see the power of education. From K through 12, children spend 14,000 seat hours in school. Let me say that again, 14,000 seat hours in school. The average Christian family spends less than 30 minutes per week discussing spiritual matters. Parents who think that a few conversations centered around, what did you learn today, need to be honest about the usual answer to that question, which is, nothing. I hear this all the time. Yeah, yes, I understand. And after they go through the regular, you know, rigmarole of, of our schools are different. That's everybody, by the way. Doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter who they are, their schools are different. Every other school in the United States is having those issues, but our school is different. After we get past that, here's the next thing. Well, I send them there, but we make sure and talk through things when they come home. Really? Let's be honest. When they come home and you ask them what they learned so that you can talk through it, what's their response when you say, what would you learn at school today? The response is nothing. The fact of the matter is they don't know what they learned at school. They have no idea what's being shoved down their throat. It is their normal. They have no concept of anything else. So they don't know what to discuss. Currently, the curriculum in schools is controlled by the government and teachers unions. Interestingly enough, it's the curriculum that's doing the discipling. Because that's the other thing we hear. Oh, we, we have wonderful, we have Christian teachers. We have Christian administrators. We hear that a great deal. That's what a lot of folks used to say, for example, in Port Natchez, Texas. And they pride themselves on their schools there in Port Natchez, Texas. You know, Port Arthur, Texas is real close to Port Natchez. Port Arthur, that's where those people live. You know, large numbers of blacks and Hispanics, poor people, that's where their schools are. Port Natchez is different. Port Natchez is pearly white. It's rather wealthy compared to Port Arthur. Their schools are different. It's true. Which is why one of their principals of a Port Natchez elementary school was caught in a sting in the middle of a park soliciting boys for sex. He also happened to be a deacon at a local Port Natchez Baptist Church. So I'm sure the parents there went around saying, our schools are different. Our principal is not only a Christian, he's a deacon. Good for them. The teacher in Florida, in the Tampa area, who got a slap on the wrist for having sex with teenage boys. What did she claim? Christianity. So the, the, the people who were sending their kids into her classroom and having them molested by her could rest assured because their schools were different and the teacher, a church-going Christian. So much for guarantees. Our schools are incapable of training our children in the very things that God commands. We only have 24 hours to invest. What do they look like? Sleep, eight hours. Eating and bathing, two hours. If you have boys, you can shave a little time off the bathing part. (laughs) Travel to and from school, about an hour. School itself, another eight hours. Homework, another two hours. Again, if you have boys, you can shave a little bit off that. TV, social, about two hours. Now, if you know anything about our culture, you know that's... Way low. Total, 23 hours. Here's what's not included. I didn't put extracurricular activities in there and we're up to 23 hours. I also didn't account for the lack of overlap between the schedule of parents and students to take advantage of that one hour that's left. That, by the way, is designed to overcome all those other hours where our children are being inundated by Caesar in secular humanism. Who are we kidding? There's not enough time in the day to compete with the schools for the minds of our children. The Bible in education is a text silent because for a long time, this has been our attitude on the issue. Our attitude on the issue is, hey, just leave me alone. You do what you feel led to do. I'll do what I feel led to do. Well, excuse me if I don't buy into that mysticism. I do what the Bible commands me to do, okay? It's like saying, hey, there's a beautiful woman over there, I'm standing here with a married friend. There's a beautiful woman over there, she's giving us the eye. Hey, you do what you feel led to do, I do what I feel led to do. No, the Bible has spoken on the adultery issue. I believe the Bible has also spoken on the education issue. And for so long, we've treated this like some sort of mystical decision that parents have to make where we meditate, um, until God zaps us with what we're to do with our children educationally. Now, before we look at all these, uh, let me admit something to you. The word school doesn't exist in any one of these. And there's a reason. The Bible knows nothing of such things. But let's look at what it says about the training of the mind. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. That would be all the time. I had a, an administrator in a school system in Amarillo, Texas, challenge me on this issue because she's committed to public school, committed to government education. As a Christian, she's committed to it. We got to have it. And our kids have got to be there. And I mentioned this passage of scripture to which she responded. I always thought that meant non-school hours. <laughs> Ma'am, where, pray tell, was Moses sending his kids to school? <laughs> Listen to Psalm 1. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Luke six 40, We've already looked at Romans twelve two. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Look at 2 Corinthians 10:5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is math a thought? Is science a thought? Is history a thought? Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the empty principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 6.20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Can we obey these principles without applying them to the way we educate our children? How can we do that, folks? How can we look at these principles about the training of the mind and not apply them to the way that we educate our children? I'm going to skip some of these and talk about early education. You'll get some more of this as we look through this. But listen to this. Government education was established around 1870. I'm surprised at how many people don't know this. Modeled after the Prussian format, rooted in secular humanism. It was opposed by American Christians for decades. First 50 years, the church fought tooth and nail against compulsory education and against government education. Fought it tooth and nail. They knew better. As late as 1900, still two thirds of all high school children were educated at home or the church. As late as 1900, still two-thirds. Listen to this from Alexis de Tocqueville. As late as the 1830s, it was noted in America that education was everywhere in the hands of the Protestant clergy. Education is not mentioned in the United States Constitution. But guess what is? The Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. What does that mean? Tell you what it means. The federal government has no constitutional jurisdiction over education. Now we clap, but let me pause here to give you an illustration. Remember, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he is fully trained will be like his teacher. I, I'm a homeschool dad. We homeschool our children. Trey's with me. Trey travels everywhere with me. Trey's 14 years old. I am his teacher. I am his discipler. When our sons reach the age of 13, they go through a rite of, rite of passage. They enter into manhood. And when they enter into manhood, their mother closes up the books and hands them to me. She is no longer their teacher. I am. There are things that I, as a man, am commanded to teach my children, my sons, that my wife cannot And so, Trey travels everywhere with me. He is my personal assistant. I am his mentor. I am his teacher in all of his subjects and in the art of manhood, what it means to be a man, to live like a man, to conduct oneself as a man, the good, the bad, and yes, the ugly. And so, people are always asking the same questions when they find out that we're a homeschool family, always asking the exact same questions. And these questions are rooted in the fact that they've been discipled by the system. There are three questions that we always get, okay? Number one, every homeschool family knows it is the question of questions. It is, if we have any homeschool families in here, I'm not even gonna say it, what's the question? What about socialization? Exactly, we get that, you know? And that's the easy one, all right? What about socialization? The other question is, is that legal? And the other question is, where do you get your curriculum? Whoever sees your curriculum. Those are the three questions. Why does everyone ask the exact same three questions because everyone's been discipled by the same teacher? Is that legal? Where does that question come from? That question comes from sheep who have forgotten that they are free men. We ask that question because we believe that children are wards of the state. We ask that question because we've been discipled by the system that says it owns us. And the first question everybody asks is, how can you educate your own children? Why? Why? Because the system wants you to be a slave. I'm a free man. My children are mine, not wards of the state. The government has no jurisdiction over my children. But everybody asks that question. Why, because the pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. And everyone who's gone through our educational system has had the idea pounded into their head that the state is the educator, that you have to ask permission from the state. Ninth Circuit has actually expressed that in no uncertain terms they've expressed that. In my home state of California, When it comes to sex education, hey, you send your kids to us, you have no rights when it comes to what they're taught. You are sheep and not free men. Everybody asks that question, everybody. Why? Because the pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. The other question stems from the same concept. Where do you get your curriculum? Who gives you your curriculum? Who approves your curriculum? Who tests your children regularly to make sure that you're keeping up with your curriculum? Again, that's the slave mentality. How is the state exercising its jurisdiction over the child that you and the state share? That's what that question means. And the last question, what about socialization? Again, it comes from the same place because we're sheep and not living like free men socialization are you serious I want a group of 14 year olds socializing my son right now are you kidding me when was the last time you were in a room with 25 people your exact same age school it never happens again once school is over which means that that is false socialization that gives you skills that you never needed to acquire in the first place There is only one positive social skill that a kid can learn in school. There's a bunch of negative social skills you can learn in school. And afterwards, you wanna talk, we can talk about those. I got plenty of those that I learned in school. Only one positive social skill. I've searched this out. Only one, and that's standing in line. And if you have enough kids, you can teach that at home, okay? (laughs) Some alarming facts. Less than 10% of American Christians possess, possess a biblical worldview. Less than 10% of American Christians operate from, from a biblical worldview. And if we have time, you'll see. Let me tell you right now, in case we don't have time when we get there. I believe the reason for that is because the overwhelming majority of them have been educated by Caesar. That's where they got their worldview from. Two-thirds of born-again Christians, and I put that born-again in quotes because that's what they claim in America, assert that there's no such thing as absolute truth, which means they don't believe they're absolutely saved. All right. <laughs> Only four out of ten said they were absolutely committed to the Christian faith. In today, maybe out tomorrow. Only 44% of church youth assert that humans are capable of grasping the meaning of truth, which makes you want to ask, how did you grasp the meaning of the truth that you can't grasp the meaning of truth? But anyway. um 85% of church youth agreed with the statement, what is right for one person in a given situation might not be right for another person who encounters the same situation. That's relativism or situational ethics. 62% agreed with the statement, nothing can be known for certain except the things that you experience in your life. And of course, that must mean that they've experienced everything else in their life in order to know that this is true, because that's the only way that they can make that statement. All right, people with a Christian worldview, 11 times less likely to condone adultery. 15 times less likely to believe homosexuality is acceptable. 18 times less likely to condone drunkenness. 31 times less likely to condone premarital cohabitation. And 100 times less likely to to endorse abortion. What are we always pounding the pulpit about? This list. Why are we always pounding the pulpit about this list? Because people don't have a Christian worldview. If they had a Christian worldview, we'd be pounding the pulpit about something else. But because 90% of the people who call themselves Christians don't have a Christian worldview, we have to constantly remind them to act like what they are not. So what's a worldview? Briefly, a worldview is a set of underlying assumptions that interpret existence. Listen to Ron Nash. A worldview is a conceptual theme by which we consciously or unconsciously place or fit Everything we believe and by which we interpret or judge reality. Senator a James Sire, our ground floor assumptions, ones that are so basic that none more basic can be conceived. Those compose our worldview. And here from Colson and Piercy, a worldview is the sum total of our beliefs about the world. The big picture that directs our daily decisions and actions. Our worldview directs our daily decisions and actions. You want to know a person's worldview. Don't ask them what they believe. Just watch how they live that's where you see a person's worldview how are these worldviews formed first of all they're formed informally no formal class sit down this is your worldview so when our students are in the government education system nobody's saying to them here is secular humanism they're not saying that it's informal uncritically they're not thinking through it in fact they're not even being taught to think we don't teach logic in our schools anymore why You cannot shove trash down the throat of a person whom you've taught logic. (laughs) They're learned intergenerationally, they're learned intragenerationally, and they're learned over time. 14,000 seat hours. Elements of a worldview. Our view of God, our view of man, our view of truth, our view of knowledge, and our view of ethics. Again, the most basic a couple more we can add here, but just the most basic, just to give you an idea here, okay? Two main competing worldviews in our culture. Secular humanism and Christian theism. View of God, atheistic versus theistic. View of man, secular humanism, evolutionary. Christian theism, special creation. View of truth, secular humanism, truth is relative. Christian theism, truth is absolute. View of knowledge, how do we know things? Secular humanism, naturalistic materialism. Nature is a closed system. Matter is all that matters. There's nothing outside of nature. So everything that we know, we know through our observation of nature. Christian theism, general and special revelation. This is an important point. Because they argue, we heard Bill Maher's statement, Christians are the ones who don't like science. No, Christian theism is actually the worldview that formed the basis and foundation for the philosophy of science. It's Christian theism as a worldview that gave us the hard sciences. Don't forget that. In fact, secular humanism does not work well with science because how can you do science if you believe truth is relative? View of ethics. secular humanism believes they're cultural and negotiated. What's ethical in one culture is not necessarily ethical in another. Christian theism says they're absolute and universal. It doesn't take a genius to figure out which of these worldviews dominates contemporary American culture. For the sake of time, we'll move here. Look at the educational influence on worldview. Non-Christian education puts the child in a vacuum. The result is that child dies. Christian education alone really nurtures personality because it alone gives the child air and food. Modern educational philosophy "...gruesomely insults our God and our Christ. How then do you expect to build anything positively Christian or theistic upon a foundation, which is the negation of Christianity and theism? No teaching of any sort is possible except in Christian schools." It's Cornelius Van Til. This whole process of education is to be religious. And not only religious, but Christian. And as Christianity is the only true religion, and God in Christ, the only true God, the only possible means of profitable education is the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Charles Hodge. Listen to A.A. A. Hodge. I am as sure as I am of Christ's reign that a comprehensive and centralized system of national education, separate from religion, as is now commonly proposed, gives you an idea of when he's writing, will prove the most appalling engineering for the propagation of anti-Christian and atheistic unbelief and of antisocial, nihilistic ethics, individual, social and political, which this sin-rent world has ever seen. Those words were prescient. David Allen Black, a dear friend of mine, professor of New Testament Greek at Southeastern Seminary, No academic skepticism, no secularist authors, no blatant materialism can so undermine the spiritual life of the country like the completely secularized training of a child under the authority of the state. Bible-based education is mandatory for Christian parents. If we think we can keep our children in a secular school system and escape the dumbed down, amoral, and immoral results of secular humanism in schools, we are sorely mistaken. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. By the way, we're not the only ones who understand this. When an opponent declares, I will not come over to your side, I calmly say your child belongs to us already. What are you? You will pass on. Your descendants, however, now stand in the new camp. In a short time, they will know nothing else but this new community. Who knew this about the power of education? Adolf Hitler. Education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism, and every public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday school, meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children, do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? Charles Potter, signer of the Humanist Manifesto, one of the architects of the modern American educational system. Our schools may not teach Johnny to read properly, but the fact that Johnny is in school until he is 16, by the way, now that's 18, tends to lean toward the elimination of religious superstition. Paul Blanchard, signer of the Humanist Manifesto, one of the architects of the modern American educational system. Public education is the parochial education of scientific humanism. Joe Burnett, signer of the Humanist Manifesto, one of the architects of the modern American educational system. So how are they doing? The Nehemiah Institute has been conducting the peers test for decades. It tests worldview. What does that test look like? Here, here's the, the, the breakdown of the scale of the peers test. Anything from 70 to 100 is called biblical theism. That's what they would expect Bible scholars and professors um, to score. Moderate Christian worldview, 30 to 69 range. That's where they would would expect mature Christians to score. You're a Christian, you have a Christian worldview, 30 to 69. Secular humanism, 0 to 29. Socialism, anything below zero. So, what do their test results look like? Biblical scholars average 87.8, just where you would expect between the 70 to 100 range. Humanists average, average of negative 45, just where you would expect. Christian school faculty, these are folks who, who teach in, 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 in uh, your, your average Christian school, high school. They average 52.9, again, where you would expect in between that 30 and 69 range. Homeschool students average 48.6, just behind Christian school faculty. Christian students in, in, in Christian schools average 27.8, which is just below the moderate Christian worldview Seeping into the secular human worldview. Now. What's the problem there? Here's the problem It's not true with all Christian schools, but it, it, it boggles my mind Christian schools actually brag about the fact that they have certified teachers certified by whom the state Caesar So Christian schools are out there going. Hey Caesar approves of our teachers Just keep moving all right And again, that's not all of them. Christian students in public school averaged 7.9 on the Pierce test. The low end of secular humanism falling into Marxist socialism. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. A couple of charts. Since 1988, 90% of Christian students who have taken the Pierce test have scored below the moderate Christian worldview level. 90 percent, 90 percent. The way home. Listen to this. This is from Christian Smith. Christian Smith was the chair of the sociology department at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And he conducted a study called the National Study of Youth and Religion, a four and a half million dollar research project. Now, four and a half million dollar research projects in sociology are virtually unheard of. But they conducted this study now. He's no longer at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. He moved on up He is now the chair of the sociology department at the University of Notre Dame now Christian Smith is not a radical fundamentalist he is a mainline Well He's not a radical fundamentalist And so he's not writing here advocating other forms of education Listen to him when he just puts forth his pure research. Especially when religion is structurally isolated from the primary schedules and networks that comprise teenagers' lives, are teens' religious and spiritual lives most weak? It is, by contrast, when teens' family, school, friends, and sports lives and religious congregations somehow connect, intersect, and overlap. Don't you love how he puts that? Somehow connect, somehow intersect, somehow overlap. That teens exhibit the most committed and integral religious and spiritual lives. What's the point that he made but wasn't willing to say? The point that he made, the point that he found in the National Study of Youth and Religion was this. It's the same thing found by the National Home Education Research Institute. The children most likely to remain in the faith of their parents, those educated at home. We're currently losing 75 to 88 percent, between 70 and 88 percent of young people by the end of their freshman year in college. Homeschool students remain in the faith of their fathers all the way through college, according to Neri, at a rate of 90 to 95 percent. Again, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Listen to Richard Baxter and the Reformed Pastor, writing in the 1600s This is the sanctification of your studies when they are devoted to God and when he is the end, the object, and the life of them all. Listen to this from R. Albert Moeller. I, I, I'm a Southern Baptist. Um, I, I, this year I had the, the second resolution that I, my friend and uh, Bruce Short and I have brought before the Southern Baptist Convention, encouraging Southern Baptists to remove their children from our government schools in 2005 we brought another that got a lot of attention because we were directly opposing the radical homosexual agenda in our schools and we got a version of that one passed and we got another one through this year and so we're a thorn in the flesh again but in 05 just before the Southern Baptist Convention I got a call from Al Mohler's program he's the president of Southern Seminary um, and one of the most brilliant men in America today bar none of any really it doesn't matter it's one of the most brilliant men in America today and I uh, get a call to come on his show. I'm not sure because most of the Southern Baptist leadership has just just blasted us in the press. I mean, they were creaming us. They threw us under the bus and backed it up a few times, okay? And um, so we get this call from Moeller. And while I'm on the program, he makes this statement. I believe that now is the time for responsible Southern Baptists to develop an exit strategy from the public schools. This strategy would affirm the basic and ultimate responsibility of Christian parents to take charge of the education of their own children. The strategy would also affirm the responsibility of churches to equip parents, support families, and offer alternatives. That's what our resolution is about this year. At the same time, the strategy must acknowledge that Southern Baptist Churches families and parents do not yet see the same realities the same threats and the same challenges in every context sadly this is almost certainly just a matter of time talking about these objections to home education because that's where we are in this and here are the these are just the objections that we receive And they're the same objections that people bring toward any kind of education, but some of them are more specific to those of us who educate at home. And since that's my perspective and the questions that I get, and because that's the least common among us, I wanted to answer the objections from that perspective. Not that I believe every parent has to do it that way. I believe we're obligated to give our children a Christian education, but there are a variety of ways to do that, so I'm not saying that every parent has to do it this way. Here's objection number one. Parents are not trained teachers. That's objection number one. First of all, and there's a monogram that you need to get, homeschooling from extreme to mainstream. It's a collection of the data over the last 20 years, from all of the research over the last 20 years about home education. Here's what was found. Having at least one parent who is a certified teacher has no significant effect on the achievement, achievement levels of homeschool students. By the way, homeschool students outperform public and private school students on all measurable, standardized tests, all, bar none. And having at least one parent who's a certified teacher has no impact on that. Here's the other thing. Teachers represent the lowest scoring group enrolled in college. They do. As far as SAT scores, as far as entry scores, ACT, the lowest scoring group of individuals going into college are education majors. They are the second lowest scoring group entering graduate school behind social work majors. Okay? Hey, these are just the facts. Am I saying that there are no intelligent people in education? No, it's not true. Not true. But here's what happens to brilliant people who go into education. They are part of a group that represents the lowest academic achievement level in college. So they usually don't stay. They usually go do something else, especially when they realize you know a person with a, an IQ of 150 who is a genius and 1400 on the SAT and they go and get an education degree And they go start teaching in schools and they are stellar teachers and there's somebody over here who's just they're a bum They just don't get it They make the exact same salary regardless of the results It's standardized because of the teachers unions How long is a Brilliant academician going to stay in that environment not long, not long. So the facts are these. They represent the lowest scoring group going into college. The education degree represents one of the lowest level programs available in modern higher education. It's a fact. And low pay and lack of discipline tend to drive good teachers away. America ranks 16 out of 17 industrialized nations in math and science. Nearly 70% of U.S. fourth graders do not read proficiently. Why is that important? Because if you can't read by the fourth grade, they've stopped teaching you to read, which means you'll probably never learn. If anyone is proven to be unfit to teach America's children, it's the American school system. Students miss out on socialization, great. This is a myth. Schools provide unrealistic and overwhelmingly negative socialization. Homeschool students are involved in an average of 5.2 outside activities. By the way, if that's you, repent and cut something out of your life, okay? (laughs) Homeschool students watch less than half as much TV as non-homeschool students. In 1992, Professor Larry Shires assessed whether or not homeschool children suffered from retarded social development. His research observed children in free play and group interactive interaction activities. What were his findings? Public school children had significantly more problems behaviorally. Imagine that. And there was no significant difference between homeschooled and non homeschooled children in terms of either their self concept, development, or assertiveness. None. They were less likely to fight and more likely to exchange phone numbers and emails. That's what he found. Students miss out on team sports. Hear this a lot in the South. I I get this a lot from people in the South. He's a big old boy. You look like you play some football. Your son ain't that small either. Look like he gonna be a big old boy too. Here's what I'm wondering. Y'all homeschooling everything. How are you gonna worship the God of sport? That's what everybody wants to know. How are you going to bow down before the bale of sport? Because everybody who is capable must bow down and sacrifice their children on the bale of sport. You must. How are you going to do that? How are you going to pay homage to the deity of our day? That's what everybody wants to know. How are you going to worship the football God if you homeschool? Students miss out on team sports. First, first. Who cares? (laughs) Next, while physical activity is important to children's development, organized sports for children are a recent development that has led to higher levels of performance on the field, but no increase in academic, spiritual, social, or emotional development. We need to be physically active. George Washington wasn't part of a traveling baseball team when he was a kid. Thomas Jefferson wasn't on the soccer team when he was a kid. They turned out okay. Well, well team sports build character. Really? If you believe that, then you must also believe that the men with the most character in America are in the NBA and the NFL. Because they've got more team sports under their belt than anybody else, Right? Students miss out on scholarships. In recent years, homeschool students are gaining admission and scholarships to the most prestigious universities. In fact, most schools have people dedicated to recruiting homeschool students because they are the best equipped students in America when it comes to being prepared to go into college. Over 700 post-secondary institutions across the United States, including Harvard, Yale, Stanford, MIT, Rice, and the Citadel, have admitted homeschool students. Everybody does. Low income students are left in underperforming schools. That's what we heard a lot in the Southern Maps Convention. If we do this pullout, those low income students are going to be left in underperforming schools. We can't leave them there. Well, first of all, students taught at home by mothers who never finished high school, listen to this, scored a full 55 percentile points higher than public school students from families with comparable education levels. So mother number one didn't finish high school, her kids went to public school. Mother number two didn't finish high school, she homeschools her children at home. Mother number two who didn't finish high school, just like that one didn't, her kid scores an average of 55 percentile points higher than the other kid. By the way, the mean performance of homeschool uh, students whose parents do not have college degrees, or it should be high school diplomas, is much higher than the mean performance of students in public schools on the whole. In case you're wondering if I really said that, let me say it plainly. Homeschool moms who never graduated from high school, their students outscore the national average of public school students. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. These kids struggling in these schools. Like me, I was raised in drug-infested, gang-infested South Central LA in the projects, raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. I went to horrible schools. I'd have been better off if my mother taught me at home. Moreover, these students are left in underperforming schools where the Christians decide to use them or not. This amazes me. If we do this, those children will be left in underperforming schools. Oh, and now they're not? (laughs) The only thing that will change the situation of poor students in underperforming schools is to take education out of the hands of those who have created the current dilemma. Those who talk about affordability, the average cost for homeschooling is $546 per year per child. Compared to an average of 6000 by the way, now it's 7000 a year per child for the government. That's less than $50 per month per child. What about single mothers? There's a large network, a large national network of homeschooling single parents. And this is part of the church's responsibility toward the widow and the orphan. If you pull them out, we're not being sold a lot. Really, the context of Matthew 5 has nothing to do with sending our children to the government school. The idea of salt and light has to do with being distinct, not with assimilating. City on a hill cannot be hidden. What's great about a city on a hill? It's distinct and set apart. We homeschool because we believe in being salt and light. Distinct and set apart. By the way, on the whole salt and light argument, you know, when you continue to read, in, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives the treatment of salt and light in that passage. And people say, I say this with me, salt and light? If you continue to read just a few more verses, he talks about not a jot or tittle of the law passing away. And he makes a statement about those who teach little ones to go astray from the law and says that they are the least in the kingdom. So, right there in the very passage, right after the place where people go and say, need me so light, Jesus says, if you are encouraging young ones to go astray from keeping the law, you are the least in the kingdom. The least in the kingdom. What is my responsibility as a father? My responsibility as a father is to equip and to train my children, to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is my responsibility as a father. My responsibility as a father is to raise, train, hone, aim, and launch the arrows that God has given me. And there are those who seem to think, That I should take them when they're undeveloped twigs and launch them into a system that will hone them and sharpen them and aim them back at me Newsflash I'm raising an army an army of intercontinental ballistic missiles And one day the silo is going to open over my home and when it does There will be missiles launched to impact this world who have been trained armed and honed in my home and not by Caesar."